welcome to this edition of the NRI podcast with me, Lyndon Kemkaran, and my guest, food safety expert, Dr. Linda Nicolaides. Hi, Linda. How are you today? Hello, uh, Linda. Very well, thank you. <laughs> Good. Thanks ever so much for joining me. Um, so, as you know, we're going to be talking uh, today about the really important subject of food safety because June the 7th is World Food Safety Day. And, Linda, I just want to begin by trying to outline the main objective of food safety for any of our listeners who might not know what it is. And please tell me if I've got this right. Um, food safety is basically to protect consumers of food from foodborne diseases or injuries related to food consumption. Is that right? Yes, that, that's, that's a, a, a fair uh, definition of food safety. Um, we want to, we work to protect consumers from, for, from getting foodborne illnesses. And foodborne il- illness occur when a food um, has become contaminated with or has um, a population of causal agents that might cause cause foodborne illness and that gets into the food chain and examples of these agents could be biological we have foodborne pathogens viruses parasites we can also consider chemical hazards um, which could be allergens which um, I I guess everybody's very aware of at the moment with the push for new packaging uh, regulations Um, physical hazards like pieces of bone um, that could cause a uh, broken mm. tooth, which I have experienced myself while traveling overseas. <laughs> so um, there's 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 a range of hazards which with different levels of risk and people should should be aware of. Yeah, absolutely. it sounds sounds pretty serious. So let's go back to some of those um, things you just mentioned. what what is it what is a pathogen that might enter the food chain that we might not what you know what would you call that that we might know by another yeah. name? Yeah, there's a range of pathogens and every food has its unique microbial flora. Um, In a fresh piece of food like a chicken, you would have um, ordinary bacteria which are there naturally um, and over time will cause spoilage. However, once we um, look deeper, we do see there's low levels of pathogens and everybody's heard of salmonella. Mm -hmm. Um, and Campylobacter, and these are the two that are linked with poultry. Um, for example, with fish, we um, think more of uh, pathogens such called Vibrio, and perhaps dairy products more with a bacterium called Listeria monocytogenes. So again, there's a range of pathogens. And in normal everyday life, we, we shouldn't be able to contract foodborne illness from foods because of the the systems in place in the food chain that have been designed to 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 uh, protect consumers. Let's talk about let's Help. talk about those systems just for a minute. So when did when did these rules from the Food Safety Agency come into effect? Because it was it was quite recent, really, wasn't it? Well, I mean, rules have been in place for many years. I think the first rule was way back in the 17th century when cyanide was put into those old-fashioned throat lozenges. Oh, my things goodness. And they, they started to kill off people. But obviously, over the years, governments have strengthened food safety laws. Um, there's an international organisation called Codex Alimentarius Commission that works in different regions of the world to understand different food systems and establish standards for those food systems. And these um, standards that they set 
have become the baseline standards for food safety globally. And so therefore, food safety um, legislation established by the European Union and the United Kingdom mm. are based on the codex standards. So, Linda, I, I'm not going to be rude enough to ask you your age, obviously, but you have been you've been working in food safety for a number of years. Do you want to tell us about when you when you how, first of all, tell us about how you got into the world of food safety and roughly when that was and what things were like then when you first started? Yeah, Um well, um, as folk do, I came to the end of my A-level life at school um, in 1970, and I had the option to either go to university or to get a job. And I think in the, the 1970s, university for um, it it was it was a little bit daunting. And with my background coming from the East End of London, uh, my parents said, "Get a job." <laughs> So, uh, and then you then you'll be able to pay for things that you want to do later. So um, there were there were there was an advert for the scientific civil service in the newspaper, and I went along for an interview. One interview was um, and and the interviews were at the then NRI, but the Tropical Products Institute, as it was called then, and there was a job working in entomology, looking at pheromones in insects and how to control insect pests in the developing world. And the other job was to join the newly established food microbiology and fermentation section that as I, at my interview, I was taken into this new lab that was being built and we were climbing over um, bench tops and things to actually see the new suite of labs that were being established at the Tropical Products Institute at that time. So it I was in NRI's food safety from the beginning, basically, <laughs> working with some very eminent uh, food scientists. Wow. So that, so had you always been scientifically minded uh, when you were doing your A-levels or was this a complete change of direction for you? No, no, I, I did follow science through. I, I, I found science uh, very interesting and I enjoyed science uh, all the way through my school career. Um, and I knew from my nature I wouldn't be able to sit in an office and work at a desk all day. I, I'm very much an active person. So working in a lab and learning laboratory skills and work, walking around was, was much more akin to, to me. <laughs> and and when, so. when was it that you realised that food safety was something that really interested you, you know, something you had a passion for? How long did that process take? I think I think from, from the word go, I mean, in... I, I divide my career into sort of 10, ten year blocks. And the first 10 years, I was learning my trade at the bench as a food microbiologist, but also understanding the work of the then NRI in supporting work overseas. I, I was working on um, shelf life of tropical fish compared to temperate water fish, um, but also looking at um, issues associated with food safety. And then with those experiences, the next 10 years, I spent my time traveling and doing overseas assignments, supporting governments overseas in establishing their national food control systems, in investigating various um, interesting topics. Uh, for example, um, we all go to the supermarket or to the butcher and we buy cold meat. But in the developing world, um, animals are slaughtered and you very often buy warm meat. And it was interesting to see that um, after investigation that meat after slaughter, um, if it is bought 
and cooked on the same day. I mean, it can be very tough because we have chilling processes to help uh, tenderize meat. Uh, but it's a very long subject to go into. But um, hot meat has what once an animal has been slaughtered, the immune system continues working for up to 10 hours, which helps inhibit some of the foodborne pathogens present. And therefore, at the beginning of its life has, you know, ha has a little bit of safety built into to, to the freshly oh, I see. Meat. So, when, so in, in developing world countries, when you see that the roadside stores where, where, like you say, chickens are being slaughtered almost to, to order or meat is, is laid out, obviously having just come from, from a live animal, that can be safer than the stuff we buy in the supermarket that's gone through a whole process and is chilled and all the rest of it. I wouldn't say safer. Um, it, 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 would, it, would, it would be safe to eat, yeah. yeah. Um, because as I, I have mentioned that each food has its own natural microflora. As we tend to process foods, so once we start to cook it or if we are going to dry it or pickle it um, or include an ingredient into a food product, we start to change that unique microflora. And that is when we start to select for specific foodborne pathogens. And so, for example, we, we could start with um, cold smoked salmon, which everybody enjoys. But cold smoked salmon is a high risk food needs to be maintained um, in the chill chain and eaten before the use-by date because there could be a pathogen called Clostridium botulinum in that cold-smoked salmon. And providing that we follow the instructions, we should not get botulism. But if um, such a product is temperature abused, left out of the fridge, um, and... You, you could get the bacterium growing and producing its um, very potent neurotoxin. Gosh, so, that, so smoked salmon sandwiches left on a buffet table for a few hours are probably best avoided. Um, the, 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 there is a, a rule called the four-hour rule. And so when we go to occasions such as family parties, weddings, baptisms, um, then, yeah, usually caterers, well, caterers will... Uh, remove food after four hours and in the summer when it if if we ever have warmer days um it, it the, the four hour rule is usually reduced to about two Gosh. hours to keep food so that's safe. fine at a, yeah. at a professionally catered buffet what if what if you're laying on a spread for your family and you you know you put out sandwiches at midday people are a bit people have got stuck on the m25 or wherever getting to your house and you know your sandwiches are still out at sort of four or five o'clock should you should you bin the whole lot or should you you know what should how how would you go Depend, about depending on, on on what the filling is really yeah i think i think cold smoked salmon should be respected um i i'm i for one enjoy leftover sandwiches but i mean the sandwiches i would leave over would be um cheese because then you can make toasties the next day and cheese as we know you know probably families took cheese sandwiches to the beach and cheese and sand is something i grew up with <laughs> But, um, yeah, I mean, it really does depend on the filling. So people should understand a little bit about food safety and protecting their families. Mm, interesting, yeah. interesting. So we've talked a bit about the dangers of uh, in, that are present in meat and obviously cold smoked salmon, which is new to me. I didn't realise that. What about vegetables? Because we, we tend to think vegetables are fairly safe. But, are you know, are they? Are there dangers associated with common vegetables that we might think about? Yeah. I think when we start talking about dangers and hazards and risks of those hazards occurring, uh, foods fall into different categories. We have high risk foods. So I've already mentioned cold smoked salmon. 
But um, yeah, vegetables can be considered a, a lower risk um, food group. However, it, again, it depends on where they've come from and how they've been handled. There have been outbreaks of foodborne illness linked to um, vegetables um, in the past because of contaminated irrigation water, for example. Um, there was an issue about 10 or so years ago with bell peppers uh, being imported from another European country that had salmonella in it. And of course, with bell peppers, we will probably chop that up and crunch it without cooking it. And that is how an, um, a bacterial infection will, 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 will spread. Um, yeah, no, normally good agricultural practices will make sure that vegetables are produced safely and workers usually are trained in good hygienic practices and good harvesting practices so that um, the contamination of food is minimised and therefore the risks associated with those food is controlled. Mm. The food industry has a system called Hazard Analysis and Critical Control Point, HACCP, which is used in many food production um, areas. However, um, back in the beginning of this century, uh, when the European food law was updated, it became very obvious that um, the hospitality sector had been overlooked in terms of managing food safety. Um, and so the Food Standards Agency developed a system called Safer Food, Better Business, which um, was a reversed HACCP system. And it's a diary for use in restaurants, hospitality, uh, catering, canteens. Um, and the diary is a, it, 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 it's a, a user-friendly safety management system based on HACCP principles and the four features are the four C's. And so we have cleaning because um, an area used for preparation of food should be clean. All of the utensils used should be clean. Um, and therefore, uh, people preparing food should be following these good hygienic practices and keeping everything clean. Um, food needs to be chilled. So that's the second C. So either buying food from the supermarket or from the local shops. We keep food at the temperature it was intended to be kept at. So food out of the refrigerator should be chilled and taken back home as soon um, as possible after buying it and putting it in the fridge and ship till you're going to prepare the food. Um, frozen food obviously should be kept in the freezer and defrosted before being used and, and turned into a, a family meal. Of course, then we're going to be cooking our food and we need to make sure that we cook food to um, the right temperature. We want to make sure in the example of poultry that we uh, cook our chicken until all of the salmonella and campylobacter have been removed. And these pathogens would be around the, the deeper areas of the meat, um, you know, closer that would have been to, to the cavity mm. where the... Um, I suppose, in, in language terms, the innards of, of the bird would have been before um, they'd been taken away and they've been degutted. Then, obviously, after cooking, we go back to chilling. Cooked food needs to be eaten, freshly cooked, or if we are going to save from, some for tomorrow or freeze it in portions, we then need to chill it and get it into the, the fridge or freezer, usually within 40 minutes um, after 
Gosh, is it that? Is it that? That's the time limit that's recommended. Is it forty minutes? Com- commerci- commercially, that's mm. um, the time limit. I think at home, you know, we'd probably sit down with our family and have our meal, and then once we'd had the family meal, then things would go in the fridge. Then, well, you see, um, with my my family set up, this is getting me worried now, Linda, because often I will I will cook something and then leave it for the for the my kids who come in at all different times and off out to sporting events and whatever, and sometimes that food does sit there. I don't know, from probably 7pm until about 9 or 10 when they come in and eat it. And it's just, it's covered, but it's on the side. It's not chilled. Mm. You're making me think yeah. I, I should probably change change some of my own domestic practices. <laughs> but but then again, you see, that's within the four hours. Ah. That is, it depends on on whether your, your kitchen is, is, you know, roasting hot or whether it's cooler. Um, it may be warm after you've had the oven mm. on. Um, but again, it's um, after that three hours, do you then put the rest of the food back into the refrigerator? Um, I think in most normal situations, you, you know, you are going to be safe, but there could be the odd occasion. And I've done it myself, you know, sort of left some food in the kitchen, gone to bed and found it the next mm. morning. Um, uh, it, you know, but it, perhaps I, I do think that the the, the British consumer does need to, to reflect upon their the practices that they have with food. Um, it's not very pleasant having food poisoning. Mm. And, um, you know, it sounds good. Oh, I can have a couple of days off work. But when you've got tummy pains and you're having to be near oh, a bathroom all it's the hideous. time. Yeah, it, it isn't no, very it's pleasant. Not a, no. not a nice experience <laughs> at all. So how much has changed in the, gosh, almost 50 years that you've been in the world of food safety how would you say things have moved on in terms of teaching food safety? Because obviously you teach you teach this subject uh, to your students. Yes, yes. Uh, um, you know, as, as I mentioned earlier, my um, my career started working in developing countries, helping people overseas to ensure food was safe, and a lot of that food um, is imported into Europe and, and the UK. Um, but obviously as as time has gone on we we understand we understand the systems that we need to follow and the food industry does need folk who understand how to organize and manage food safety um and from my the work i did back in the 1990s when we were working then with pre-accession countries on e- developing equivalent food laws with um europe we developed a lot of um materials which I then converted into our first MSc in food safety and quality management at the beginning of 2001. Um, And it's been a very popular program and we have trained many professionals globally. But so I think, you know, within the NRI uh, lens, we we started off doing a lot of continual professional development training folk from overseas countries in laboratory techniques and how to isolate and identify foodborne pathogens, which then developed into supporting national food control systems, which are the systems that manage food in each country globally, Um, and then offering education to folk who would go back and work in the food chain, whether they stay in the UK for experience for a year or two before returning home and contribute to the safetiness of food um, globally. And so. in terms of um, classroom-based teaching and hands-on teaching, how much has that changed over the years? Um, I think that there are different techniques we can use. I mean, certainly we've 
uh, we now offer the Food Safety and Quality Management Programme as an e-learning programme, which I developed back in 2017, because there are very busy people who work in the food industry who uh, may have left school and went gone into the food industry um, and then want to actually understand the science behind food. And so that, that's why we, we offer that programme. And our third MSc programme is our MSc in Food Innovation, which looks at um, the um, emergence of novel ingredients. So novel uh, proteins, for example, you know, plant-based proteins are very popular at the moment for folk who would prefer not to eat meat. Um, or looking at alternative protein sources like insects, um, which can be aligned to sort of crustacea and other sort of seafoods as well in terms of the hazards they have. Have teaching methods changed at all? I think we've always at NRI had a very practical approach to teaching. And so we've never just stood in front of a, a blackboard or a whiteboard or a screen and lectured to our students for three hours because that does mean they'll all fall asleep, I think, you know, making sure that we inform students about a particular issue, encouraging them to read around it before they come to class and then having interactive activities where they're actually applying what they've learnt is how um, teaching has evolved over um, the years. But certainly we, we've always had practical elements to, to our programmes. Um, we, when we're t teaching practical subjects like food microbiology, it's usually a 50-50 split between being taught lectures and then actually hands-on laboratory um, experiments. And equally, we, we run a, a course called the uh, Food Product and Process Development module that, again, a student will take a, a brief and develop a new food product. Um, during the life of that course over 12 weeks and then pitch the product to the managerial board. And that, in effect, is their assessment for that particular module. Mm. Um, and we, in Food Innovation, we also have a branding module where students develop their own brand. So if they are entrepreneurial um, aligned and want to develop their own business in the future, they get a chance to think about how what you know, what do I need to do to develop my brand, the design of it, the marketing plan needed, understanding consumers and, and this type of approach. Mm. Um, and so, yes, yeah, st students have um, a good understanding of practical applications as well as the academic learning that they're expected to do. And, and why do students generally come and study with you? Is it to sort of further their careers or is it because they might be working in another industry and think, oh, food safety and nutrition is really interesting. I want to change careers. You know, can you generalise or, or is it a very individual choice for people? I, I think it, it depends on, on the programme. Students coming to study the food safety, uh, the applied food safety and quality management programme now um, are looking at working in the food industry as quality or technical uh, members of staff to support the production of safe and wholesome food. Um, and in comparison, the, the, the students who come to Food Innovation, um, we've had quite a few chefs come along who've wanted to, again, understand the science behind the food, but then take their understandings to another, another level. Um, we did have a, a student chef who was um, who was a sushi chef in London, 
and studied the program. And then he went back to Japan before the Olympics and opened up an English breakfast restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, from from a, a, a very healthy product to a perhaps perceived not so healthy product. Yeah, goodness. <laughs> so interesting. But again, you know, we've also had students who have, um, you know, as you alluded at the beginning, um, I have been working for over 50 years in food safety and um, some of the people we I've trained early on have reached quite high positions within their national governments, within the food safety system and also ex-colleagues as well in a similar position. So I think NRI has um, had an input to improve food safety globally. Mm. And I was in the um, a food safety conference a couple of weeks ago in Aberdeen and met a lady I trained 31 <laughs> years ago. And she it, she's uh, coming up for retirement, but she says she always remembers her time at NRI. It was then ODNRI, one of our previous named uh, beings. But uh, yeah, we, there, there are many people and I've got an awfully long Christmas card well, list. I bet you have. <laughs> so you've, got, you've had quite a legacy in, in the world of food safety. Must be quite satisfying. I think so. I think so. Yes, I, I I can only say I think I'm very privileged to be able to work for an organisation like the Natural Resources Institute. Um, yeah, and I've got no regrets with my career uh, because the freedom that working at NRI has given me. I have travelled the world. I've met a lot of very interesting people um, and been able to promote food safety globally. So that's yeah. quite a legacy, Linda. So my final question is about World Food Safety Day, uh, which is on the seventh of June. Do you what what value do you think these these national international days bring to a subject? I think it, it it's important um, to be able to promote food safety because it does make people think. You know, the, the ordinary man in the street, or the not so ordinary man in the street, or woman mm-hmm. in the street, or person in the street, um, to think, oh, it's International Food Safety Day. What does that mean? Should I be thinking about food safety? Because I think in our everyday lives, we don't think food safety. If we go shopping, we buy food because we like the look of it or we want to prepare something. We don't think, oh, is that safe and sort of prod prod it. Certainly when we started teaching food safety many years ago, I would ask students, do you have to think about the safety of food when you buy it? And certainly some students from overseas would put their hands up and say, yes, we buy food because our family needs to eat, but we know it could make us ill. But thankfully, over the 20 years that NRI has been running postgraduate programs, if I ask that question now, they look at me in a very strange way. No, of course not. We we eat safe food. Um, And so I think perceptions have grown on food safety and people just need to be reminded from time Mm. to time the effort that is put into the food chain and that processed foods doesn't mean that the scientists have had it in the lab and have been playing with it in order to produce processed foods but um, you know if we think of frozen peas frozen peas are, 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 are picked and frozen immediately and the goodness does remain in the pea and so when we cook them properly, we're, we're getting a nutritious product onto our plate. That's really good to know, Linda. Well, so, listening to you speak has been fascinating. Thank you very much for your time. And rest assured, it certainly made this consumer of food think a lot more carefully about um, what I buy, how I prepare it, and uh, certainly how we eat it. Dr. Linda Nicolaides, thank you so much for your time today. And it's been absolutely fascinating. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Linda. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. <laughs>